Uh, well, it's good to be gathered here together with each and every one of you uh, in person and uh, live stream. Uh, it's a, a good day uh, to be in the house of the Lord and worshiping Him. Uh, Mark did a great job earlier of sharing some of the ways we're going to reopen things. And uh, I told him I would mention this one here uh, this morning. This Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, uh, we're going to meet. We're going to try it out uh, in the in the sanctuary, but we're going to do a 10 a.m. Bible study. Now, our Wednesday night, our normal 6 o'clock Wednesday times aren't going to begin until uh, August, the beginning of August. We're going to have a business meeting the last Wednesday in uh, July. So we're going to start our um, the 6 o'clock Wednesday stuff in about a month and a half. But this Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock, we'll meet over in the sanctuary. We'll have a time of prayer and we're going to have a time of Bible study. Uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a study on the uh, Second Timothy, uh, looking at that, uh, running well and finishing the race. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that Bible study together with all those that can be involved. So I won't be doing the live stream at 10 o'clock, but at 1 o'clock, I'll be doing a, a live stream podcast that will kind of recap the uh, study at 10 o'clock with some of the discussion that we've had uh, in, in that time. So we're going to see how that format works for the foreseeable future. So if you can join us at 10 o'clock, that'd be great. Uh, if not, we'll have a live stream at 1 uh, with that being recorded and being put up on our website, and you can uh, be a part of that Bible study. And then, Lord willing, and uh, depending on how things happen, Wednesday evenings uh, will be reincorporated. We'll regather on those uh, at the end of July, start of August. So I'm excited about the fact that we're able to regather and begin doing things that, that we're more comfortable with and used to doing. But this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, we're continuing on with our study, uh, what I'm just calling Ariel Matthew, because we're taking an overview of these last remaining chapters. Uh, just know if you put a bookmark in there, uh, either uh, digitally, if you're using a, a tablet or a phone, or if you do it manually, if you're having a, a printed copy of God's Word, you're going to have to uh, leave that in there for a couple weeks, because next week, as Mark mentioned, we're doing our celebration services, celebrating 55 years of being a church here in Athens, Alabama, uh, 45 years of Ron serving on staff here. The week after that is Father's Day, so I'll do a Father's Day message, uh, and then we'll get back to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 25, two weeks or three weeks from today, uh, so just know you can do that. So Matthew chapter 24, and again, we're looking at the, an overview of this, and I'm kind of, and putting it under the umbrella of the king. We looked a couple weeks ago, Matthew chapter 21, at the authority of the king as Christ came into Jerusalem, that final week of his life uh, here on the earth. Uh, he came in with uh, expressing the authority that he had, the power he had uh, as king. The Matthew chapter 22, we looked at the fact that they questioned the king. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and others came along uh, questioning the authority of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the rebuke of the king or rebuke that Christ had for the people because of their stance of seven woes. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the return of the king or the coming of the king. Uh, and the, the great thing about this is Christ is predicting his return before he's even left. 
uh, because he has a good and perfect plan. Uh, and all this starts out, uh, again, I'm not going to try to read every single verse uh, in Matthew chapter 24 today, so I encourage you uh, to have your Bibles. I encourage you to read those verses. I'll draw your attention uh, to a number of verses as we work, work our way through this. But this passage of Scripture begins as Jesus and his disciples are exiting out of the temple, the temple area. Uh, and the temple was, was huge. It was a monstrous building. It had several porches and several places that thousands of people literally could gather together uh, in order to worship. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes we have in mind, you know, our, our church buildings uh, and what they can see. Well, you've got to think of thousands upon thousands of people being able to gather and be a part of this. So as they're exiting out, they look back and they see this humongous structure and they draw their attention to that uh, and, and mention to Jesus that isn't this such a great, marvelous structure? And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to take their eyes off of the structure, the building, and to start placing them on him and his return. And in this passage of scripture, in, as he talks about the return of the king, what's going to happen in the future, what's going to take place uh, in, the, in the future, he is going to encourage them to think about the task ahead for them, what they're called to do. And this is the task that we're called to have as well today. So as we think about the future, as we think about the return, we need to believe and trust in the fact that we have a task today, what we're called today. These truths that we look at here in God's Word today are vital for us in our lives. So Matthew chapter 24, uh, I'm going to start with a newsflash, okay? Get ready. We live in a fallen and a fatal world. Is that news to anybody here today? Uh, the things that we're dealing with, Brett says it is to him, so he's in shock today. Um, that's not news to us today, is it? That we live in a fallen and a, and a fatal world. We live in a world that's not quite right. Uh, the reason we're worshiping here in our gym is because we can't be in our sanctuary just yet, our normal sanctuary. This is our sanctuary now, but we can't be in the normal place because of social distancing, because of the pandemic that we've been dealing with now for the last several months. And we continue to, to deal with. I'm glad things are starting to open back up and starting to move in a, a direction that we'd like them to go. But we're still having to deal with that because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that deals with the diseases and sickness and uh, health issues, uh, not just the pandemic, but other issues as well. Uh, we live in a world that is uh, wrought with, with discontentment uh, and disruptions. We're dealing with that. We're still seeing the protests that are happening here. So what Christ says to the disciples here is they look upon this great structure. Christ redirects their attention. And I want you to see what he says to them about what things are going to look like uh, and how we live in a world that is fallen and a world that is fatal. So Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and many will and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I want you to see just real quickly there, again, we're not going to dig too deeply into any one of these things as we look at this overview here, but in verses 4 and 5, we are told that there will be false prophets that will come that will claim to know and actually be the truth. Uh, the disciples had to prepare themselves for that, that there would be people that would come along and they would say, I have the truth. I have what is right. I know something you don't know, and I'm going to share that with you. So there will be false prophets. They're going to come claiming to know the truth. There are going to be wars. There are going to be famines. There are going to be rumors of war. And there's going to be unrest in our world. Now, now, we're seeing all these things here today, uh, the, the uncertainty of the world that we live in. That's what Christ is talking about. And that was true in his day, uh, and it has been true throughout history, even up until our day today. Verses 9 and 10, 10 tell us this, that believers will face persecution and betrayal. Now, we're somewhat isolated from that here in the United States. But persecution, betrayal is a real way of life for many around the world today. Has been and will be. Simply becoming a Christian, believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can lead to death for many people around our world today. It leads to uh, loss of business and, and loss of relationships for many people around our world today. So believers have and will face persecution and betrayal. Verse 11 tells us that false prophets will come, and not only will they come <clears throat> claiming to know the truth and be the truth, but they're going to convince many that will follow them. I can't help but think just simply because I lived through it now 26 years ago, uh, but uh, the Branch Davidians there in Waco, Texas, and all the things that happened, and I watched a documentary not too long ago uh, about Waco and all the things that happened in there. I'm thankful for Chip and Diana Gaines because no longer is Waco remembered for the uh, Branch Davidians, but now it's remembered for fixer-uppers, so uh, that's a more positive image, which is good. But I can't help but think, but you know, there are many people that followed his teachings, David Cray, and he wasn't the only one. There's been many others that have followed the teachings of false teachers, people that claim to know the truth and will use God's word for their own ends and to their own devices. Christ told us there are going to be false prophets and they're going to be convincing in how they speak and how they teach and people are going to follow them. And then verse 12 tells us that there are going to be many people that come become numb to the truth of God's word. They're going to reject it. They become calloused to that. Uh, that's the kind of world that uh, Christ was describing for the disciples. He said, uh, before my return happens again, you see this great and beautiful temple. Not one stone will be left upon another. This temple will be destroyed, and it has been destroyed. In fact, in 70 AD is when it was destroyed. But he says things are going to get worse, and here are some of the things that you're going to see. These are some of the perilous times 
that you're going to live in, that will be a part of the world that you're going to be a part of, and how you're going to have to respond to those times. So, so how are we to respond? How were the disciples called to respond to those perilous times? And how are we to respond to those perilous times? Are, are we to kind of put our heads in the sand and, and pretend it's not going on and say, well, my life's okay and things are good with me. I'm insulated from that. I'm just going to put my head in the sand and ignore it. Do we as believers maybe not stick our head in the sand, but we circle the wagons and say, listen, we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to make sure that we're okay. And as long as I'm okay, and as long as my family's okay, as long as my church is okay, we're not going to do anything about it. Or do we do like some people say, well, you know what? We're just going to join the world. We're just going to look like them. We're going to act like them. We've got all these cultural pressures on us today. So we're just going to let our church start acting and looking like the world. The answer to that is no, no, and no. We don't do that. We respond to these perilous times. We respond to this fallen and fatal world by staying true. A true believer, and this is what Christ is calling his disciples to do here, a true believer will live with bulldog tenacity. Now, I've never owned a bulldog, but I've seen bulldogs. And, and bulldogs are, are uniquely designed to be able to bite into something. They actually were trained to, to fight bulls, to actually bite in and hold on because of the way their nose is shaped. They can chomp into something uh, and, the, and they can still breathe. So they can hold on as long as they need to. Uh, and that's where that term bulldog tenacity came from. I'm currently listening to a biography on the life of Winston Churchill. It's taken me a while because it's like 50 hours long to, to listen to it. Uh, but it's been, it's been good. Uh, Winston Churchill was given the name of the British Bulldog because he, especially during World War II, was his greatest hour. He had a lot of missteps and a lot of mistakes early on in his life, uh, but he remained true to his country. He remained true to his calling of becoming prime minister and, and serving his country. And uh, he was given that name, Bull, the, the, Bulldog, the British Bulldog, because he would not give in. In the most dire hours of the British nation, he continued to say, we can win this fight. We can overcome the Nazis. We can do what we're called to do. And he had that tenacity in him that inspired the people around him, his nation around him, to hold on and to keep fighting and do what they're called to do. Well, we as believers, and this is why Jesus gives the, this word to his disciples. He says, I want you to have bulldog tenacity in your faith. You're going to face difficult days. You're going to have difficult times. There's going to be perilous times. There's going to be false teachers that lead people astray. There's going to be believers that look like believers, but not really believers, and they're going to become numb to the truth of the, of the gospel message. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. You're going to face persecution. But hold on. Stay strong. Remain true. Paul says these words to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Your ability to have a bulldog tenacity in your faith is not because of who you are, because you don't have it in you. I don't have it in me. I can't do it. You can't do it. But Christ in you and through you can do it. 
the surpassing power that belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Bulldog tenacity. Staying true no matter what. Why can we and why should we live like this? Well, Christ goes on to share with them, and he says that you can do this because you can know and you can believe that I have a perfect plan. God has a perfect plan for this world. Even despite all these negatives that he has just shared, he says, I've got a perfect plan for this world, and I'm going to complete this plan. It's going to take place. And so Christ in this passage, you're going to have to read most of these on your own here. But in verse 15, he says, listen, I'm going to take you back to Daniel. 500 years before Jesus was speaking these words, Daniel had been given a prophecy about the, the coming of the king and the return of the king. He had spoken about the fact that God was at work, was going to continue to be at work. He spoke of things that hadn't happened yet, but were going to happen. Uh, and that the, the fact that there was going to be a coming king, the king was going to return and he was going to rule forever. So in verse 15, he takes them back to the prophecy spoken by Daniel. And then in verse 29, he's talking about the tribulation. And Jesus says, immediately after this time of tribulation, so these things haven't happened yet. Christ says, let me take you to the past, the prophecies that were given. Let me talk to you now about the future events that are going to take place. And even before his death, was just, which was just about to happen in another couple days, before his death and his resurrection, he's talking about future events after the tribulation of what believers were going to do. So what do those verses tell us there? What does this passage speak to us here? That God has a plan and God is working that plan. God is accomplishing that plan. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, talks about the many people that lived and believed a life of faith, trusted in what God was going to do, and what God was doing. Then we come to verse or chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we're told that we are called to hold on. Okay, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, hold on to your faith. And then in verse 2, we're told this. We hold on because we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus Christ had bulldog tenacity. He endured the cross. He suffered the shame of the cross. It says, despising the shame of the cross, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, why would Jesus endure the cross? Why would he suffer that pain, that humiliation, the, the separation, all the, the negative things that came upon him in, his, in, in, in going to the cross? Why would he do that? He endured the cross because of the joy that was on the other side of the cross. Because of what he was looking forward to beyond that time of pain. He was willing to go to the cross because he knew his death would lead ultimately to his ultimate resurrection. His death would lead to the payment of the penalty of the sin 
and his resurrection would show the power of his over sin. What we can do in our lives. And, and so as, as Jesus maps out this for his disciples, this time of tribulation, this time of separation, this time of pain, uh, and, and all the things that are going on in the world that they were experiencing in the world that we experience today, why could he hold on? Why should they hold on? Because he has a perfect plan. And Jesus endured the cross because he knew there was something better beyond. We endure the pain and the suffering that we endure in in this life as believers because we know there's something better beyond. We know there's something more to look forward to. We know that there's better things ahead for those that believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then Jesus says in verse 35, he says, this world will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You can put these words in the bank and they're going to be there. Peter puts it this way. Uh, he talks to a, a group of believers that were suffering persecution. He'd written one letter already to these Jews that were in dispersia, those that were separated and, and going through difficulty and persecution. He wrote First Peter to them. Then he comes back in Second Peter. He writes them another letter encouraging them uh, in their faith. And then you come to Second Peter chapter 3. And here you have believers that are uh, suffering and, and going through all kinds of pain and, and difficulty in their life. Uh, and, and some of them are beginning to do the, like many of us do sometimes. We look at the news around us. We, we see the, the world in turmoil. We see the, the disease that is in the world. We see the unrest that is even in our own country. We see all the, the negative things and all the bad things around us. And sometimes we may question, is this real? Is he real? Uh, can we believe in these promises? Are they really going to happen? People in Peter's day was think, thinking the same thing. So he writes this in Second Peter chapter 3. He says, this now is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I want you to remember the truths. Verse 2, he says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Remember what Jesus told you. Remember, he said, there's going to be false prophets. They're going to claim to, to be true that are going to go against what Christ says. There are going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be famine. There's going to be unrest. There's going to be disturbances in the world around you. It's going to be bad. It's going to look bad. It's going to seem really, really bad because it is bad. There's going to be some that follow those false prophets. They're going to be convincing and there's going to be people that fall away. There's going to be people that grow numb to the truth of God's word. He says, remember, these things were prophesied about. These things were predicted before they were ever going to happen. Uh, Jesus spoke about these things. And I can't help but think Peter had to been thinking about that Mount Olivet Discord that we're looking at here, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, when Christ told him about these things. He goes on to talk about the fact that Christ's lowliness in coming is not that he can't do it, that patience is there for our protection. 
He says in verses 11 and 12, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, all the world and all these things are going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. These things that he talks about here are to point us to the future, to point us to the promises that he has given to us. As we look at our world today, as we deal with this pandemic and all the issues that deal with it, that, that go along with it, you know, we're headed back in a, in a more positive direction. We're hoping and praying that uh, we're going to be able to continue to to move forward to, to meeting together more regularly. And it's great to see all those that are able to gather here this morning. But it's not over yet. In fact, I just got an email that I looked at today. In Africa, it's getting worse. And it will for a little while longer, and hopefully they'll, they'll recover. So we're, you know, we were kind of, you know, the Italians were, uh, Italy was going real bad, and then they started getting better. We started getting worse. Now we're starting to get a little bit better. There's other places that are still dealing with uh, the, the difficult sides and, and uh, are still facing more pressures and more difficulties. The unrest that's happening in our own country right now, the protests that we're dealing with, this new round of protests uh, that we're dealing with, we look at those things. And we rightfully say, Jesus, we want you to come back. We want things to be right. We want things to be better. Why don't you come back? We want to hasten that day for him to come back. But realize that God's patience is not inability. It's not because he can't. We need to remember that God has a perfect plan and he is letting this perfect plan play out to its end. God's patience is not inability. God's patience is actually a reflection of his love and his compassion because he is giving people time to respond. He's giving each and every one of us in here today time to respond to that love. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, he's giving you an opportunity today to look at this world, to look at this fallen and fatal world and to say there needs to be something better. There must be something better. And that is through Jesus Christ. If you're listening to this through live stream or if you're listening to this recorded, he is saying, I'm giving you time to trust in me, to put your faith in me. It's not because he can't come back. It's because he's chosen not to come back yet because he wants more people to come to know him as Lord and Savior. So God has a perfect plan. We live in a fallen and fatal world. But God is still in control of all the things that we see and all the things that are around us, those big things happening in, in the wide, wide world and even the little things that are happening in your particular life. Yes, we live in a fallen and fatal world, but God has a good and perfect plan. So what are we called to do? If you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you claim him as, as your Lord and Savior, what are you called to do? Well, what this passage actually teaches us is that we need to stay prepared. The disciples were exiting out of the, the temple and they looked back on this beautiful structure. And they said, isn't this marvelous? Isn't this glorious? And Christ says, you know what? In a few years, he didn't give them a timetable, but he says, one day all these stones will be falling upon one another. The temple will no longer be there and the temple isn't there today. There's part of it left, the, the wailing wall, but the temple is no longer there. 
just as Christ predicted. That's temporal. That's not going to last. That's not going to be here forever. So what Christ does, he says, I want you to think about the eternal. I want you to think about what's really going to last. And here's what Christ says. Christ focuses them from the temporal to the eternal. And in verse, 26, or verse 36 of Matthew chapter 24, he says, But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels or heaven of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. So he's, he's trying to help them focus in the right way. They're saying, give us a timetable. Give us, give us some charts. Give us some graphs. Give us all these things that, that we want to see here. And he says, no. He says, the time and the hour, only the Heavenly Father knows. But he does give them two examples. And what are the two examples that he gives them? In verses 38 through 42, he gives them the example of Noah. He says, in the day of Noah, it took Noah 450 years to build that ark. That's a big building project. That takes a long time to actually accomplish that. In those 450 years, it was only him and his sons that built that ark. You had the mass of humanity around him. Every single day, they had an opportunity to say, Noah, why are you building this ark? They chose to mock him and ridicule him because why build this big ship when we've never had a flood before? It's never happened before. So in their mind, it never could happen. They had 450 years to trust in the God of Noah. Noah remained bulldog tenacious, and he built that ark. And when that ark was finished, the flood came. All those people had that opportunity. And so he gives them an example of the fact that people had an opportunity to respond. 450 years worth of opportunity. And yet they chose to reject. And when those floodwaters came, their opportunity was gone. Verse 42 says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on the day that the Lord is going to come back. It's a reminder and challenge to us to stay faithful and true. Then he shares another uh, example here, uh, verses 35 through 51 through the end of the chapter, and it talks about the master of the house staying prepared. He says, if the master of the house had known when the thief was going to come, he would have been awake. But he doesn't know when somebody's going to come in and try to take away his possessions. And so what Jesus says is, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be constantly on your guard. And in fact, when we get to it in a couple of weeks, when we get to Matthew chapter 25, he's going to give several more parables about what it looks like to stay prepared and to stay ready uh, for his return. But here in this passage, he's saying, stay prepared, stay ready, stay on your guard. That's what we're called to do as believers here. A lot of people want to take passages like this and set out timetables. And again, charts and graphs and those kinds of things. But Jesus was not trying to give his disciples here some kind of hidden code or some kind of timetable or a map to the end. What he was saying to them, be ready, be on your guard. Not the disciples didn't ask, because even after his resurrection, you come to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Jesus is about to, about to leave. So here's the question they have for him. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? How did Christ respond? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You go and preach the word. 
Go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, Judea, go to Samaria, go to the outermost parts of the world. Don't worry about times and charts and graphs. Spend your time doing what you're told to do rather than speculating about what you're told you won't know. So when we look at a passage like this, these, these passages are given to us to motivate us to share the truth of Jesus Christ, to be ready and prepared yourself, to know that you're trusting in him, to know that you have that bulldog tenacity that you're holding on through the power that he's given to you to, to believe and trust even through the most dire and, and difficult times that you may face either individually or collectively uh, as a world, no matter what you're facing, that you'll stay true. You'll stay focused on what you're called to do. When Christ speaks these words, he says, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to stay alert, to stay ready, to stay, to stay true to what he's called us to do. So in our struggle with this world around us, and again, it's easy to look at the things that we're dealing with immediately here in front of our face today, the coronavirus pandemic and how it's disrupted so many lives, lives that have been lost, people that have died because of this, uh, our own lives being disrupted families and businesses and work and all those things, we can see that and we say things aren't right. We want to get back to normal, whatever normal looks like. We want to get back to something better than what we have right now. Every morning we're turning our TVs on and we're seeing in the, the, in the news the latest protests because of the wrongs that were done in our world today. And we see that and we say this isn't right. It should be better. We want better. We want something more. So in our struggle, if you're a believer here today, your struggle with the fallenness of this world, what that should drive us to is to trust in Jesus' Jesus's promises even more. To trust in who He is and to realize that He's on His throne and He has given us a task. And that task is to share the truth of his goodness, his love, his compassion, his sacrifice of himself so that we could have eternal life with him. And he gives us four promises here in Matthew chapter 24. So I'm going to just go through these very quickly, and this is how we're going to conclude our time here together. Four promises that Jesus gives us in this passage of Scripture that will help us to have that bulldog tenacity to live faithfully for Him no matter what we may face in our world today. The first one is this, Matthew chapter 24, 24 verse 14. The gospel will be proclaimed. Not might be, not should be, not could be, but the gospel will be proclaimed. Listen to what he says here in verse 14. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. How is that name, how is that gospel going to be proclaimed? Through believers. How beautiful are the feet who share the good news. If you're a believer here today, it's you and I that take that message and proclaim it to the ends of the world. And... and Look at what's happening here. Just this morning, Brett and I were doing our Bible study, and uh, we have the live chat there, and uh, we'll get people to say, hello, I'm here, I'm attending, I'm listening. Uh, we had one from halfway around the world today that at the end of our Bible study said, amen, thank you. 
Somebody from Nairobi, Kenya was watching our Bible study today. Now imagine that. We can do that here through the live stream and through technology that we have. And I've watched some of it. It was one of the students that I had when I was in Africa earlier this year when Beth and I went on the mission trip up there. Um, I, he does a lot with uh, Facebook, and I've watched a lot of his stuff uh, that he's been doing as well. So what an amazing thing. We can be halfway around the world. The gospel will be proclaimed from one end to the other. We have a responsibility to do that. You may not be able to get halfway around the world, you individually, but you can go to your neighbor. You can go to your family members. You can go to your coworkers. You can go to your friends. You have an area of influence. And when you do that, you're going to make an impact. So the gospel will be proclaimed. That's a promise. And we're the ones that are called to do it. Second promise that we're given here, uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, Jesus Christ will return. Okay, he hasn't left yet in the sense of he hasn't gone to the cross yet when he's making these predictions, but he's saying, I'm going to come back. I'm going to go, and then I'm going to come back. And so Matthew chapter 24, verse uh, 27, he says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be known. Exactly what that looks like, when it's going to happen, I can't tell you. But I know when it happens, we'll know it. There won't be any question. There won't be any doubts in anybody's mind. Believers and unbelievers, they're going to know it because it's going to come. And we're going to see it. Jesus says, I will return. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. The gospel is going to be proclaimed. And Jesus says, I will return. Third promise that we have here, Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. You can read about that in Revelation and other places. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's word is going to remain. Isaiah talks about that, that God's word will not return void. It's not going to pass away. It has power and it's going to remain. His word, not this world, are the only things that are going to remain. All these things that we have in here are not going to last. These are perishable. These aren't going to last. The bodies that we have here aren't going to last. These are perishable. The things of this world will not last. God's word will remain. We can put our hope and we can put our trust in that. So the gospel is going to be proclaimed. That's promise number one. Promise number two is that Jesus will return. Promise number three is that God's word will remain. And then fourth and finally, the promise that he gives us here in verse 46 is that the faithful will be blessed. Look at verse 46 again. He says, Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. And the so doing is being faithful, doing what he's called to do. That those that are proclaiming the truth of God's word to the world around them, in their words and in their actions, those that remain faithful will be blessed. Blessed is the one who will be told on that final day, whether Christ comes and calls us home or you're called home and you go to him and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been true to my word. You've been true to your calling. You lived your life with bulldog tenacity and staying true to God's word in the good days and in the difficult days. You remain true. And they'll be blessed with saying, come into my kingdom. Those are the promises that were given here. As we read this passage of Scripture, 
We see that Christ is saying, yes, the world is, is fallen. The world is, is, is coming apart. This world will not last. He didn't give us these things so that we could try to determine the exact day and time because we're told specifically in Scripture we're not going to know the time and the day and the place. But he says when you know these things, when you believe these things, you will live your life faithfully for me. Stay alert, stay true, stay on task, and live for me. The king is returning. The king is coming back. When he returns... Will you be like Noah? Will you have built the ark? Will you have been faithful to do what you're called to do? Or will you be like those that were mocking him? When Christ comes back, will you be like that? those servants that were ready and prepared for the thief when he came? Or will you be asleep and not knowing when he comes? This passage is ultimately a passage. The return of the king is, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you living your life as a believer in Jesus Christ today? Do you know him? Do you serve him? That's the challenge from this passage this day. And my prayer is that each and every person in the sound of my voice, whether you're here in this building or whether you're seeing it through a TV or a computer or a phone, that you will know Jesus Christ and you'll live faithfully for Jesus Christ this day. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you tell us that you have a a perfect plan that you are putting in place. And, Lord, part of that perfect plan looks difficult to us. It's it. It hurts and it's hard to watch, but we know that you are God and that you're in control. And I thank you for those promises that you give to us, that you are alive. You are working your plan, and we can be a part of that plan when we put our hope and our trust in you as our Lord and Savior. So, Father, my prayer is that as we've read this passage and looked at these truths, that each person will respond by living for you, by giving their heart and their soul to you. Your patience in returning is not because you can't do it. It's because you want us to know you and to love you and to serve you. So help us to do that here today. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen.